Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, it's Nick here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. So how you doing? So we are in uncertain times. Um, as I record this today, it's coronavirus again. If you're anything like me, you probably can't wait until this whole thing stops so you can kind of get on a plane again and go and have a holiday. Um, or, okay, probably most importantly, you want to kind of start getting your business back on track. I'm not going to overplay it. As you know, I tend to look at these things as in a positive light as best I can. I try and look at the opportunities I try and recommend that others do the same. And I appreciate that's massively difficult when you're kind of looking around and, and you know, your business is not performing and the plan, the business plan that you set for the year is miles off track. But, you know, you've got choices here. You can either kind of go and hibernate for a period of time uh, and not do anything. Now, I'm not doing that. No judgment if that's what you need to do. But, you know, I think you should probably also use this as an opportunity. See what's good in this. You know, if you've got that book in you that you have, you know, never had time to write, maybe now's the time. If you need to kind of get your staff trained up, even though they're sitting at home, you know, think about how you can do that effectively in this environment. Perhaps it's time to be more innovative and be more creative with your business model so that you've got different types of products and services that can exist and be more sustainable when there's these, you know, macro environmental things going on, which, which put a stop to what you've done previously. So that's the time. Now, I've got um, at the end of the podcast today, I've got an invitation for you. I've been wanting to put something out for a little while now around how people can do the best they can through this uncertainty. So I'm putting on a masterclass. It's going to be the um, the Business Survive and Thrive Masterclass. It's going to be happening at the end of April. So there are a few details at the end of the um, interview. And I have got an interview. I'll talk about that in a second uh, today that you may want to participate in, particularly if you want to get some tips and some strategies to help you in your business while you're going through this period of change and and certainly uncertain times. But we'll get to that later. I'm super, super excited today. I've got someone on the show who I've been wanting to interview for some time. Now, I often talk about books that I recommend and I talk about playbooks of scale up. And there are a few people that I really, really like. And for those who have been listening to Scale Up Your Business for some time, you may have heard of me mention a book called Profit First. Now, as we're going through this world of, you know, cash is king and all of that, then, you know, actually Profit First is probably the book. It's the book you need to read. And the author of that book is the amazing Mike Michalowicz. Now, Mike is an entrepreneur. He's had three multi-million dollar companies. Obviously, he's written Profit First. He's also written a few other books, Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan. And today on the show, we are going to be talking about his latest book, which is called Fix This Next. And if there was ever a time that we needed to kind of get some, some insight, some inspiration, some thought from someone like Mike, it is absolutely now. So just to kind of, you know, it's not all, you know, roses and ice cream and all that sort of stuff for Mike, you know, even though he had these big exits and those three big multi-million dollar companies before his 35th birthday, 
He then went off to lose it all um, by playing around in the tech and VC world. And he talks a little bit about that today. But as I said, you know, sometimes the things that hit us hard are the biggest gifts. And since then, he's gone on and, and he's got this amazing mission to, to really work with entrepreneurs and, and make entrepreneur a fantastic success for people because it's such a great vocation when you really get into it. And again, we touch on some of those elements today. So here we have it, you know, an absolute superstar in the world of entrepreneurship. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Mike McCallowitz. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I am absolutely delighted to have with me this evening, Mike McCallowitz. Did I pronounce it right? You, Nick, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> Trust me, there's some practice there. He's the author of a book that I know everyone who's been listening to this podcast for some time has known that I rave about because I think it's such a, a, a hugely important, powerful book for people who are kind of trying to grow a business. That book is Profit First. But Mike has also written Clockwork, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan. And tonight we're going to be talking about his newest release, which is Fis- Fix This Next. But I mean, tell us your story. I mean, you've you've founded businesses, you've sold businesses, you've lost all of it and come back. Yeah. Take us through it. Yeah. Welcome to the show, firstly. Well, Nick, thank you for having me. Uh, this is a real joy to be here. And uh, just the the quick story on me, I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life ever since university. And I um, had the good fortune, maybe, maybe the misfortune of building and selling two companies early on in my life. They're both in the tech space. One was a private equity exit. Another one was a Fortune 500 acquisition. And I uh, became a self-made millionaire in my early 30s. Thought I had it all figured out. I was a genius. And the arrogance was just building along with the ignorance. Um, I, I started a third business as an angel investor. I sucked at it. I had no right to do what I was doing. <laughs> it was just aimlessly spending money. And uh, I, I now call, call myself the angel of death because of the 10 companies that I started, all 10 companies failed within six months. I was paying bills for companies that didn't even exist. It was such a fast collapse. But also with, with, with the money I'd made, the arrogance was explosive. I, I got the big house uh, in the community I live. I, I, I got a place in Hawaii to go on sabbatical. I had the expensive cars, the Dodge Viper, you know, all that stuff. And um, wiped out myself fast within two years. And uh, the turning moment for me and, and kind of the restart that I needed was when my uh, accountant called me and said, you should declare personal bankruptcy. He's like, you've lost it all. And I logically had saw, I logically saw my accounts dwindling, but didn't emotionally accept it until this point. Went home to my family that night, and for the first time ever, I was admitting how bad things were. I had been lying by omission. Yeah. And uh, I'm sobbing and crying because we were going to lose our house. We did. We lost it 30 days after the fact. We, we lost our car. We lost everything. And... Um, I tell my daughter, she was nine years old at the time, that I couldn't afford her horseback riding lessons. And as she heard that from me, she was sobbing already. She ran away. I thought she was running away because she was so afraid of me and so angry. But she was actually running away to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank. And she ran back as fast as she could. And she was, Daddy, Daddy, since you can no longer be the provider for us, please take my money. And uh, if I think uh, about it, I'll actually start crying. I've it got, was, a, I've got a, um, an eight-year-old and she, she's done similar things when we've talked about stuff like that too. I've had, I, our stories are very parallel. I lost some money going from private equity into tech and similar. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, I know the feeling. So as you're telling that now, I'm sort of, I've got goosebumps and I'm going, I can feel it. I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, brother. You know, we've been there and it's what comes out of babe's mouths. I mean, our children, it was so 
genuine and thoughtful. And I was so ashamed of me. What a scumbag. And um, I went through, it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, I got to fix this. Next morning I woke up and I started hitting the bottle. I, I went through depression for two years. I tried to medicate through alcohol. I couldn't sleep. I was an insomniac. But also it became a seedling to find new solutions. It ripped me down to the core saying, I don't really understand entrepreneurship. I don't even understand the basics of how to make money on a sustainable, in a sustainable way. And uh, that triggered me to investigate it. As I investigated it, I started to write about it. As I wrote about it, I was like, I got books in me. And uh, I decided to pursue the dream of mine, which was actually being a business author. And so I, I went all in in it. Um, I've written these books now as a result. I've started and run three businesses currently. I say run own. I have a president for each company. And um, I'm a shareholder in three small businesses. And I experiment with my own businesses on these methods and ideas. And I, I get the good fortune of meeting with, it must be hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, either speaking to them from a stage or sometimes through a podcast or meeting them face to face. But I, I just, this is my community and I will be of service to small business owners till, till my final breath. Wow. I mean, you could say, listening to that story, you could say that's a gift, what you were given there. Because obviously, you know, maybe- yeah, Sure as hell didn't feel like a gift. <laughs> it, felt like a, it felt like a kick in the nuts. No. I'm not, I'm not saying right? you're sitting there happy about giving up the Viper in the house and the, and, the, and the horse riding lessons. But I mean, you know, if you think about how many people you've helped since, you know, and yeah. obviously the books are in you, but sometimes you need to feel that pain sometimes to yeah. realize. And it, in retrospect, it, w- it was the ultimate gift. And I'm so grateful for it. I don't wish it upon anyone though. And I never, ever, ever want to go through it again. But I hope it has awakened me to this. And um, yeah, it, it, started, it started a journey that's been the most joyous journey of my life. And, and it continues to be, I'm, I'm 12 years into this now being an author and uh, I, I can't ever see stopping. Fantastic. Okay. Well, let's, let's get into, I do want to talk about um, fix yep. this next. I've read the book. I think it's excellent. Um, lots of Thank questions you. around it, but we'll let you go through it. But before we do that, can we just touch on profit first? As I said, it's, it's such a seminal piece. Um, Thank you. I've got a question there really about, I mean, you wrote that in 2014, I think, and then you revised yes. a few years ago. I mean, we, as we record this, the world's in a bit of a weird place. Right. Record. Gosh, yeah. So we're recording it like, you know, through coronavirus and all that sort of thing. Do you think the principles have changed or evolved in the last three years? And as we as we record this today, do you think there's any any of the lessons from that book that are even more important now? Yeah, I, I think some of the lessons are more important. Um, the fundamentals I don't believe have changed. You know, we it's hard to estimate now, but we are aware of or have gauged about three hundred and fifty thousand companies now doing profit first actively. And uh, it's a blessing. I, every day now, emails are, are pouring in from people saying, I'm so happy I've been doing Profit First and how it's serving them. The, the essence of Profit First is when it's a cash-based system, as money flows into your business, you take a portion of that money and you remove it from your business, hide it away as a profit. It's a cash-based profit. And there's, there's more elements to it, but that's the most simplistic concept. It's, it's the pay-yourself-first principle applied to business. And it's a percentage-based system. One of the common questions I've gotten is some business owners saying, "Do I should I take a lower percentage now that I'm in crisis?" And the answer is no. The fundamentals of profit first stay the same. Don't change anything. It's when you allocate profit first and then you can't operate your business that your business is telling you there's something fundamentally flawed in your business. Do we have too much expense going? Do we need to cut expenses more often? Do we need to increase margin or focus on the products we're selling and, and, and sell better products more that are more appropriate for our business? So the fundamentals of profit first don't change. I, but I think one thing that becomes of great emphasis is the management of debt 
I, I see people responding to in the U.S. because there's been recent uh, legislation uh, offering loans to small businesses to maintain their operations as is, um, even with with potential debt forgiveness, where they'll give you a loan and then the money uh, won't be due back. But there's no promise of that yet. That's still being negotiated. But I see business owners leaping, leaping on getting loans to maintain their business. And uh, my ask for them is, is, why take a loan? Even if there's no interest, a loan is a loan. You are borrowing money to serve something in the business that's not working because you shouldn't need a loan in the first place. What's the problem with the business? And Profit First teaches us that, is that you know, when we borrow money to serve the business um, as in its current state, there's something fundamentally flawed and we need to explore that. There are appropriate circumstances where loans can bridge a situation or serve in a temporary form. Um, and, and it's smart because it's leveraged and will improve the business. But sadly, I see businesses just overreacting and taking money because it's free money. And uh, there ain't no such thing as free same money. Things happening, going to be- same thing's happening here in the UK. And I'm sure it's happening everywhere. What, what I've yeah. found, and I get, I've been asked in the last probably two weeks, I've been asked this question more, more times than I'd like to be asked. But you've got people who are, this is, it's a big thing but it's actually putting a light, if you like, on the issues that people had in their business before this thing happened. So people haven't had the cash flow, haven't had the resources to be sustainable yeah. for three months, you know, even a month, some of the smaller businesses that I sometimes get exposed to. And, and that's why I think, you know, the stuff that you talk about in Profit First is more relevant now because, let's face it, people who have to go and get a loan, you're right, they haven't really got a business because they're not managing the most important thing, which is the first, the first most important thing, which is cash. Yeah, cash is king. And that's what profits, you know, it's interesting. A lot of businesses um, that haven't experienced profit first or are not focused there are stuck in the old model. And I, I really have a challenge for it. The, the traditional established model for businesses is sales minus expenses equals profit, or some people call it turnover minus expense equals profit. What we're saying is that we must focus on our sales, the generation of cash, and that totally makes sense, and subtract expenses that support the sales and what's left over is profit. The problem with that formula is it's telling us that profit's a leftover. It's the last consideration. And so most businesses, and I see them sadly, many of them dying out right now as we speak, that have focused on sales to support expenses and incurred more expenses in hopes of growing sales. They stayed stuck on that formula and they never got to the profit. And now the business is in a dire way. Yeah. So in profit first, we flip the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. As money comes in, we hide the profit first, and our business then tells us what's truly available for the operations of the business. So I think that principle, even though you haven't implemented profit first, you can start applying it today. And it may be a harsh kind of wake up and, and cold water to the face that you need to take immediate action to improve your business. And the, the saddest thing, Nick, is that you know small business, my heart sings out for us. There's there's 180 million of us globally. And a small business, at least defined by US standards, is a company that does $25 million in revenue, US or less. It's a whole lot of money. That's absolutely my company. Perhaps it's yours. It's probably most of the listeners. And we just got punched in the face. Small business, the world just punched it. We have bloody nose, we have black eye, <laughs> and the world right for punching us said, hey, by the way, I need you now. I need you more than ever. We, we have to save the planet. We are the backbone of the global economy. So it's a real shitty position to be in, but it's the reality. Yeah. We need to act responsibly and deliberately in these circumstances. 
I agree. And, and the thing is, but I also think that entrepreneurship and, 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 and what, what that means, and I know there's lots of different definitions, you know, a lot of people step up, a lot of entrepreneurs, if people have that mindset, step up in times like this. So I'm seeing, as much as I'm seeing some people try and profiteer from this, which I think is pretty terrible, I'm also seeing yeah, lots yeah. of help. I'm seeing lots of help, education and inspiration. And I'm also seeing some innovation. I'm seeing people looking at their business models differently and, and thinking, yes. actually, you know what, instead of me selling this big ticket item, which might not be the right time for my customers and consumers, I'm going to think about what they need. And I'm going to think about, you know, a different way of doing it. And that's quite I already saw some collaboration. I saw collaboration. So restaurants are shut down here and uh, they, can't, they can't stay in, ser in service the way they have been. And uh, there's one restaurant that collaborated with a electrician uh, who has a delivery truck and the electrician's using the truck to deliver the food uh, to homes because electricians, there's restrictions on construction. And now both of them, while they're not excelling, they're both coming out a little bit ahead of the game. It's, it's really interesting to see the collaborative nature that's breaking yeah, out I too. Love that. I think there's gonna be some great things that come out of this. So do I. Cool, okay, let's, let's move on to yep. um, fix this next because I think, Let's be honest, there's going to be a lot of need for this, <laughs> whatever timeline we're yeah. talking about right now. Um, as I said, I've read the book. I love um, the concept of the business hierarchy of needs. But, but let's get into it. And, and, you know, firstly, where did it come from? I mean, you've written a number of books, but why this? Why now? Yeah, so I actively survey and ask my readership, uh, you know, what do you need now? What's your biggest challenge? And the interesting feedback I've been getting most recently is that the biggest challenge business owners have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. There is absolute confusion. There is a constant, almost manic state that entrepreneurs are in trying to address all the apparent issues in their business without considering the impactful one. So we just put out a fire and we feel momentary relief until the next fire presents itself and the next is an endless stream. So the question is, what should we be working on? You know, we need to do the right thing at the right time. We just don't know what that thing is and we don't know when to do it. So that's why I wrote the book. It's a very simple system using a hierarchy of needs because all businesses have this common DNA to pinpoint what to work on next. Right. Okay. Well, let's go through the model. Um, as I said, sure. what we'll do is we'll put links into the show notes and people can have a look at this. And I believe the book is actually, it hasn't launched yet officially. It's launching very soon though. Yeah, launch is April eighth, uh, April twenty eighth, I should say. Okay, so not very long. Ago. About as we have this recording, about four weeks from now. Yeah, cool. Okay, so let's let's go through it. So so let's start off with the business hierarchy of needs. If you and and let's then if we can just go through kind of why you've sequenced things in the way that you have and why the priority. Um, obviously, it's based a bit on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but obviously from the business context. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so it's an interpretation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but applied to business with one very significant distinction. So Maslow, just so we're on the same page, uh, evaluated the structure of human needs and basically said that if a base level need is not satisfied, we will revert to addressing it so that we can then aspire to higher level needs. The most base level need, according to the Maslow for human need, is physiological. We need to breathe air, we need to drink water, eat food. If those aren't being satisfied, those are the core tenements of life itself. So we will revert to that. The next level uh, of needs in his structure is called safety needs. It's protection from the elements, protection from harm, and uh, we need to address that. So an example, I live outside New York City where we can get frigid temperatures, I mean, below zero uh, with a blizzard coming through. And if I'm outside just wearing a t-shirt and a blizzard's coming through, my, I will naturally respond by seeking shelter, clothing, um, a, a roof over my head. 
Otherwise, I'll die of hypothermia. But if I'm sitting out there and someone puts a bag over my head and ties it tightly, now all of a sudden, the ba- uh, even more base level need, physiological, I can't breathe, becomes more important. So it's not about running inside and seeing if I can warm up. It is about tearing that bag off as fast as possible. So Maslow says, we always have to have the base level needs satisfied in order to address needs at higher levels. Well, his model continues up to uh, a thing called belonging, esteem, ultimately self-actualization, which loosely is defined as living one's life's purpose. Well, in our business, we have a hierarchy of needs. And as I re- did this research, this is the fundamental DNA, if you will, for all businesses. All businesses have these elements, just like all of humanity has Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The base level need for a business is sales, which is the oxygen for a business, if you will, is the creation of cash. The next level is profit. Profit is the creation of stability for an organization. You can create as much cash as you want in the world, but if you're not retaining any, any of it, any profit, you're not stable and you will go out of business regardless of what your sales are. So these have to work in relation. The next level above that is order. That's the creation of efficiency. Then above that, we have impact, which is the creation of transformation. The highest level is called legacy, which is the creation of permanence. So this is the structure of small business, very similar to Maslow, but there is a key and significant differentiation. Maslow's hierarchy is based upon the fact that we are biologically, neurologically wired into ourselves. We have the senses that trigger and actions required, the sense of smell, touch, um, taste, and so forth. So if you and I are walking down a, a dark alley, Nick, and we get frightened that something may happen to us, we should turn around and exit. We are lo- likely at a safety risk in Maslow's hierarchy because our senses are triggering that. Don't keep walking in. But in our business, we try to trust this instinctual response saying, oh, I can't do that or I must do this. We need to sell our way out of it. We are trusting gut. We're trusting instinct, but we are not neurologically wired to our business. So our senses are not a good trigger. We need mm. to use our senses maybe as a beacon, but we have to empirically back it with data. We have to have empirical data that says, here's our issue. Here's our challenge. So in Fix This Next, I have a series of questions we can simply answer empirically saying yes or no. And based upon these uh, questions we answer, we can pinpoint where our business's current need, its vital need is. Got it. Got it. So do you find, and this is more of a blanket question, but do you find that um, businesses that are run from gut or emotion are less successful than ones that are more rational and metrics driven? Yeah, no question about it. And, and um, I've been a gut instinct guy for far too long, about 15 to 20 years of doing that. And I've only been in business for about 25 years. I finally made the shift toward empirical data. And uh, here's what's interesting. Here's, here's, here's the indicators of a business that's gut run. If your business is circuitous, meaning it's, it seems like you take two steps forward, but three steps back, that's never getting past a ceiling of sales, um, if, if there's a frustration in your business, if you feel you must work harder and grind it out, those are all indicators that you're not using empirical data and making decisions based upon it. You're trusting your gut and, and you're getting stuck. The businesses that are empirical become very logical about their process or as logical as humans can be at least. And they identify where the need is. They place resources on the resolution. They open up that bottleneck. The business takes another step forward and they identify the next bottleneck. You know, these are the ones who are seeking this true impactful challenge that needs to be relieved as opposed to saying, I think it's that one. My gut says it's over there and jumping around. They're very focused on singular resolution and moving in a linear progression as their business grows faster. 
Yeah. And I find sometimes, I mean, I, with, with some of the, the people I work with who are, let's say it's entrepreneurs who, who, who sort of lend themselves to the creative and innovation side of things, and then they have to move and the business grows to leading teams, to managing things from afar, if you like, and also having to have metrics and KPIs. They struggle with the shift. Because, you know, beforehand you can be, yeah. it's you, it's, it's an idea, it's that whole romantic idea. But as soon as you start to have to put structure and process, sometimes those people struggle. Do you, do you find, if someone's coming in learning this, do you find that the biggest challenge, getting that shift? Yeah, that's a big struggle. And, and they also think it's a dichotomy, meaning if I'm going to leave the creativity and go to structure, we can't create anymore. I'm like, no, 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 that's not true. We still need to ideate. We still need ideas. Mm -hmm. If we look at, you know, Amazon, probably one of the biggest companies in the world, right? We look at Amazon. Amazon has a lot of ideation and creation, but I don't think Jeff Bezos is saying, you know what, I think we should drop the prices across the board 10%. My gut says so. Amazon is using empirical data like crazy uh, when it comes, to it comes to all the elements of their business. They measure, they test. When they get results, they move toward that. So there is this balance. I ideation is the spawning of ideas, but then it needs to go through a system of validation and proof before we roll it out. The challenge that, that small business owners have that are based upon you know, gut instincts simply say, I have an idea, let's see it through. And the empirical data is never even evaluated. Uh, they, they may get to a point where it just hits a cliff and it didn't work and they say, let's give up, but they didn't even really measure the progress. And so sometimes they give up on things that could actually work if they simply shifted it and they go all in on things that they never should have in the first place. Yeah, okay, no, I see that all the time. It makes a lot of sense. Can we let's go into the detail of this if we can. So, so in terms of the um, the hierarchy, you start first with sales, and yep. then obviously it's profit, it's order, it's impact, it's legacy. Just, yep. just kind of go into a little bit more detail. What I'd like to understand, I think, and what will help a lot of the listeners is 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 how you use this model firstly to identify, and and is it that I could look at this and say I've got an issue which is around order and efficiency, or does it always start more in a sequential way? Yeah, it. it it's a relational system. So like Maslow's hierarchy, one level is dependent on the next. The, the foundation always must be of the right size and significance to support the next level above it. So if we look at the base level of sales and then profit, I need, my organization needs adequate sales. It's the auction of an organization. It's the creation of cash, adequate sales to support a level of profit. If you look at like, building a structure, a five level structure, the, the first level is the foundation and then you have first floor, second floor and so forth. As you build the structure, you need an adequate foundation to put the first level on top of it. If there's no foundation, if we just ignore sales altogether and we try to put uh, this building on top of unlevel ground, it'll shake and rattle and it'll ultimately collapse. You need the foundation. Conversely, if you make this massive foundation, like a huge volume of sales, and the profits is a little tool shed above it, it'll collapse and get sucked up within it, and the, the, the system, again, will fall apart. So relationally, when we look at each level and we say, is it adequate to support the level above it? So I look at sales and say, do I have adequate sales to support a profit objective? And um, if I don't have adequate sales, then I need to increase sales. If I have some sales coming in, I then evaluate profit and say, what's the profit objective I want to achieve? Is sales supporting it? And then do I have enough profit to bring about stability to support the creation of efficiencies or more efficiencies? Now, one thing I want to share at this point is I'm not saying when you get to the efficiency order level that that's when you start bringing order to your organization. All these activities are happening throughout. As you focus on order, you must maintain sales. As you're running sales, you must have some kind of practice that you do repeatedly, that's order. But this is when it becomes your primary concentration, the most important element of your business. So as you get to the order level, 
uh, and we've confirmed that sales is adequately supporting profit, there's enough stability and profit to focus on order, you bring about more and more efficiency. What's interesting about these first three levels in the business hierarchy of needs, they're all about getting the benefit of the organization. The organization must get more sales, it must get more profit, and it must get more order within the organization. At the next level above it, there's a flip. It's not about getting as much as contribution as giving. So the impact level is where we are of, contributing to our community in a new way, instead of just being a commodity, our offering, it becomes transformative. That this, there's something beyond the, the offering. The example I've been using a lot recently is Harley Davidson. You can buy a motorcycle if you so desire anywhere. But if you buy a Harley Davidson, well, now you belong to the Harley Davidson family. You're a weekend warrior. There's, there's a meaning behind this. Something greater than just the commodity itself. And we all have this opportunity regardless of our business. And maybe we, you don't belong to a family. Maybe it just shifts your life in some capacity, in some way, bringing ease or comfort to you or security or joy or whatever it is. But there's something beyond the commodity. And it's of such significance to the customer. The customer has loyalty back to you because of that transformation. Then the highest level then is legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. The, the interesting realization I had as I was interviewing entrepreneurs that have gotten or achieved this experience is there's this realization that they were never business owners in the first place, that they were simply stewards, that they had a responsibility for this business, but the business was never about them. Mm-hmm. They simply maybe were the seedling or the start for it, but the business has a responsibility of its own to continue on. And the owner deliberately removes themselves or even any individual from the responsibility to continue the business. The business is designed to continue on its own and have natural churn and stuff like that. So that's how it works. And like any, this will be Maslow's hierarchy, at any time, if any level is compromised, I mean, the base is compromised, we must revert to it. So right now with this macro crisis, you know, the recession, the global recession that's happening, businesses that were maybe at a impact or, or legacy level and had adequate sales and profit in order, all of a sudden don't have enough profit or don't have enough order. And they must cycle back down to shore up that foundation in order to have a strong structure above it again. Great. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Because I noticed with the model, you talk about getting then giving, which is actually a reverse of, of some of the other models that are out there, which is give first to get that kind of, you know, yes. abundance. My mom, my own mother, Nick, told me, Mike, you must give to get. That's what life's about. Mom's the bullshitter. Total lie. And she runs because, some, and she runs some multi-million dollar businesses before. Right, right. right. <laughs> She's the founder of Mary Kay, by the way. Okay. Um so <laughs> No, we, we need to get in order to give. And I, I understand the reverse, but if we don't have stability in our organization, our organizations can't contribute. Not-for-profits are notorious for this. People start not-for-profits and say, I want to change the world. And it's such a wonderful, important mission. And they don't consider sales or contribution. They don't consider profit, stability of the organization. They don't consider order. Uh, all they do is say, we got to change the world. And they get this wonderful message out. And very quickly, these not-for-profits burn up. And, and, and here's a sad reality. A lot of for-profit businesses should really be recategorized as not-for-profits. Yeah. No, I see that a lot. People who start with a great purpose and mission. And don't get me wrong, having a great vision for what you're trying to do and having a greater purpose is great, but you've got to have the mechanics of the business in place. So yeah. the question I've got, in how, I mean, well, the thing I like about this is, you know, I talk about the journey of scale-up. And one of the questions I get asked all the time is, firstly, when do I know when I'm in scale-up? And when do I know when I'm out of it? <laughs> And I want to focus on the latter. So are you suggesting here a little bit that after you've got to, or sort of between order and impact, that might be where you're starting to come out of scale up and you've got a business that's running like a machine, it's working, 
And then you can start to focus on building something else. You know, it could be an empire, it could be whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's truth in that. You know, it's interesting. So we, we, as we establish stability at higher levels, we also have the choice to go back down and build a bigger foundation so we can build a bigger structure above it. I have a good friend. It's, a, I think, a $13 or $14 million company. It's a good size small business. And he's nailed sales, profit, and order. And I talked to him. I said, well, what are you going to do now? He doesn't even have to work at the business. The checks just come in. He has a, a cash machine. And he says, oh, I'm going to golf. He goes, I don't probably do 16, maybe 32 holes a day four or five times a week. He's like, that's my dream. And I, I, don't, I don't place any judgment upon that. I think that's, if that's what he so desires, that sounds amazing. But I also think the moment will come for him where he says, I wonder if this is all there is. I think that moment, it came from me. And I realized that there was not, never going to be enough size, but, and therefore it'd be a trap for me that there was something more and it was about the impact and legacy. So I think businesses, as they grow, can cycle back down uh, and decide to build a bigger and bigger foundation. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a great contribution, by the way. It supports our economy. It gives jobs. It supports our vendors and clients. So it's an amazing thing. I just think some people will decide to transition to how the business is of service. One of the stories I put in this book was a, a gentleman. It was a fascinating story. His name is Philip Wilson. He, an American guy who moves to Guatemala City, um, and it's truly Guatemalan. He's lived there longer than he has in the U.S. And um, he started a business initially to for its sustainability, for its its revenue model. He very quickly, he realized he wanted to have impact um, and kind of reposition the business to to serve the whole model. It wasn't like he wanted to start donating and giving away. He he built a healthy business. The model was this: he realized that in Guatemala, there's a, a very large poor population who um, can't even get sanitary water. They have to work a day's labor to get just enough money to buy the wood, to burn under the water, to boil the water so the water, the bacteria is killed. And you're in this horrible cycle of just making enough money to burn wood uh, and repeat. Well, he created these things. It's called Ecofiltro. It's a um, clay pot infused with silver. Silver kills bacteria. And what you can do is you pour water into this clay pot and it slowly seeps through. But what comes out of it is crystal clear, bacteria-free water. Well, he built this and sells these systems to the wealthy population in Guatemala City. Uh, they're, they're ornamented. Uh, there's ornamentation on it. They're painted. They're beautiful. And he makes re reasonable or substantial profit on it. He then also sells it to the poor community uh, at cost. Uh, he doesn't lose money on it. Um, but at cost, and he uses some of the profits to offset uh, the manufacturing stuff. And there's no ornamentation. It's just a clay pot. pot. Uh, and the poor community is able to afford this. And what the, the end story is remarkable. He's been doing this for years. And uh, what they noticed is now, once you make the investment in a clay pot, it may take you a month's salary to pay for that clay pot, but you don't need to buy another clay pot for three or four years. So now any income you're having, have, you don't need to buy logs. You can actually better provide for your company. So they see um, the, the quality of life improving. But my favorite thing, it actually chokes me up. There was a story of, um, there's an organization doing environmental pollution studies and they fly these satellites all over the world and they're flying over Guatemala City. And they noticed in their studies, all of a sudden there was a noticeable drop in air pollution in, in the Guatemala City and the countryside too. They then sent out a task force, a ground force that went out there and walked uh, 
and met with these people where the air pollution had dropped and they found they were using the clay pots. Philip didn't even realize, but by using this, there's less wood burning. They've, they've dropped tremendously, exp exponentially, the, the amount of wood burning and they're cleaning up air pollution as a side benefit. So that's someone that really understands the model and is playing it out for growth uh, in a service. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm a massive you know, believer. One of the things I say is, you know, entrepreneurship is a force for good. You know, mm. and and as I said, now more than ever, now more than ever is is is, is as important as as you know as as ever to uh, to kind of you know help you know what the world is going through. Listen, I'm conscious of your time, um, Mike. Is there anything else, particularly within the model that you want to share? I have got a final question for you today, but you know, is there anything else you know? Because obviously, people can read the book, and how about how they apply it? Is it is it? I mean, with profit first, I think you can apply it. You know, some people like to get help with it. But is this something that you think anyone can pick up and, and be able to implement quite easily within their business? Yeah, yeah. I found we have a lot of businesses now implementing it. Even though the book hasn't been out yet, the initial manuscript was circulated with about 200 entrepreneurs and we're getting continual feedback. It works. Here's what I encourage people to do. This business hierarchy of needs, if you don't have the book, you can just draw it by hand, pin it above your desk and just refer to it. Because every time there's an action, a trigger, there's a reaction. What this will put is a little bit of consideration between it. So we don't just react and start spinning in cycles that we start becoming very deliberate in our process. Also in the book, you'll discover what's called OMEN. It is a method. It's an acronym, uh, objective measurement, evaluation, frequency, and nurture. It's a process. Once you pinpoint what to work on, the OMEN is how you go about resolving it. And with those two pieces, you can start marching your business forward in the direction of, of continued growth and service. Awesome. Okay, well, as I said, we'll put some links to the book so people can get access to it, certainly when it launches in a few weeks' time in the show notes. So my final question for you, so you've been very generous, so thank you for coming on the show. But the final question- My here, joy. <laughs> yeah, it's been a great, I knew this would be a good conversation because the stuff we do is very similar. Um, with what the world's going through right now, um, with so much uncertainty, fear, um, people really worried about their businesses, what are three things that you think business owners should be focusing on right now in order to have the, the best chance of not just surviving, but thriving post what, uh, what we're currently going through. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with profit. I, I think actually profit is more important than ever now. And you can be very deliberate about it. Uh, I, I teach a method in profit first, but when we talked about it, but you just take 1% of that profit and start allocating it out, hide it away from your business. Because without profit, you don't have enough time to address unexpected challenges. They'll just burn you out. So even when you're under, uh, under stress, like your organization may be now, you still need to have a profit habit in place. And if you don't get one started immediately. So that's step one. Yep. Step two, uh, start pivoting your business without compromising your core competency. I see some businesses doing extreme shifts or changes. Others are just freezing up and are going under because they don't know how to respond. I challenge you to look at your core competency, like, just like that restaurant did down the street and said, listen, we deliver meals to tables. Let's now deliver them to homes and they teamed up with someone else. If you look at what you do, look at how the process you take to get to what you do and within there may be other alternatives, new ways of delivering that same core competency. And then uh, realize that leadership, this is the third thing, is that leadership is probably the most important thing now. Leadership for your employees if you have them, but leadership for your clients because they're shocked and stunned of what's going on now. And when people get startled or shocked, they freeze up. And then some will duck their head in the sands, others will look around, but they're all looking for a solution or a way forward, someone simply to say, 
we got this. This is the way off the ship. Let's start marching. They need someone to do that. And to do it, um, you, you need to communicate probably more frequently than ever with your clients now, but in shorter, tangible sound bites. I see some, some businesses just blurting out, you know, 50 paragraph emails of how they're going to save the world or whatever. It's so overwhelming. It actually causes more panic. I see other businesses go silent. We need a leader steps up and says, here's the way off and here's a step to do it. And then the next day they say, here's the way off and here's another step to do it. And then the next day, here's the way off and they keep that rhythm going. That to me is good communication and good leadership. I love that. Uh, leadership is something that I've been talking a lot about over the last couple of weeks as well. Leadership, yeah. leadership, you know, for the greater, for the greater community, great leadership for your business, leadership for your family, uh, yeah. particularly with all the change. I mean, I said, I've got young kids as well. You know, they're this, they're going through that time. And then there's obviously personal leadership around that as well. And the three questions I've been sort of saying, you know, to people, when people ask me, what do I do, particularly where they're in overwhelm? I say, yeah. firstly, ask, who can you help? How can you help? And who can help you? Mm. Those things actually really start to get you thinking about the sort of leader that you can be during this time. Right. Well, listen, Mike Michalowicz, I've got it right again. <laughs> <laughs> it has been awesome as i said you've been very grateful very generous sorry with your time i'm grateful to have you on scale of your business and thank you so much for the work that you're doing for entrepreneurs and small businesses all over the world thank you nick this has been a joy thanks for having me great and we are done boom well done brother so that is mike mckellowitz i hope you enjoyed that episode he is such a cool guy has um, done so much for entrepreneurship around the world in terms of the books that he's written, the number of different talks that he's, that he's also given around the subject. Just a really great guy. And, you know, his book, Fix This Next, which we spoke about today, definitely recommend you looking into it. If you need some help with it, get in touch as well. Some of the concepts are pretty simple, but as I always say, strategy is only one small part of the game. It's about execution that really matters. So today, I'm going to announce a new opportunity for you, and it's something that I've been wanting to do because of the current climate that we're in. So literally coming up at the end of April, we'll be having a masterclass. It is the Survive and Thrive Masterclass, Survive and Thrive in Business, and how you can deal with all of the uncertainty that's going on right now around us. There's a really famous quote by uh, Martin Luther King that says, Martin Luther King Jr., to be precise, that says, only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And it's difficult to kind of get that in your heads right now because it feels like you're getting punched in the face everywhere that you're kind of going. But, you know, in these situations, you're either winning or you're learning and you're rapidly learning. So I wanted to be able to do a masterclass, which is going to help people really get to grips with what they're going through now so that they can think about serving, retaining clients, fixing cash flow, cash is king, thinking about what do you do with your team, with your staff, you know, how do you drive leads, how do you market in this environment, all of those sorts of areas, because I want you to be able to walk away from the masterclass. It's going to be a two-hour masterclass with a whole heap of strategies and tactics that you can implement to get through this, this uncertain time that we're all feeling right now. So I'll have some details in the show notes, so please click on the link if you'd like to participate. There'll be a small charge for the masterclass, um, but we are going to be donating all the profits to charity, actually to the Tony Robbins Foundation, which is one of the causes that um, I certainly support. Um, so please, you know, if you feel that you need help in your business right now and you'd like to learn some fantastic tips that I'm 
working through in my businesses and helping people with and also some of the things that I've learned from speaking to some pretty impressive um, business experts over the last year and more recently, then please join us for the Survive and Thrive Business Masterclass coming soon. As always, thanks for listening. I really appreciate um, everything that um, you are doing right now to support the community, everyone who's been listening for some time, and um, all the very best as you're going through this uncertainty. As I've always said, I'm there for you and the community is there for you as well. Be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Bye for now. 